This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to our program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today we're going to continue in our lessons on Proverbs illustrated with examples. We're going to begin with Proverbs chapter 11 verse 2 where pride is followed by shame. Proverbs 11:2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Uh, the pride and humiliation you think of King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's go over to the book of Daniel, chapter 4. Daniel, chapter 4. And we're going to see that pride brings humiliation. We want to begin up in verse, verse 1. Uh, Daniel, chapter 4, verse 1. It says here, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show you signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, Verse 9, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of my head and my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the air, excuse me, the fowls of the heaven, dwelt in it, or dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. Verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher, and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree, and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from a man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. Verse 17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and demand of the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, Declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. 
verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown, and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher, and an holy one coming down from heaven, and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field, till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is come upon my Lord the King, verse 25, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, until or till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O my king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, Break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. So in these verses, we see what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. We see the interpretation of the dream and Daniel giving Nebuchadnezzar a warning that he is to break off his sins by doing acts of righteousness, break off his iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. All right, did he do that? Well, let's go back and we look again, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, pride brings shame. Now let's go back to Daniel 4, 28. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months, in other words, a year later, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Do we not see great pride in that declaration? I, Nebuchadnezzar, my kingdom, I have built my power, the honor of my majesty. Great pride is exuding forth from the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, thy kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. So the word came from God. You're going to be driven from men. You're going to dwell with the beast of the field. You're going to eat grass like an ox. Seven times shall pass over thee. 
there's been a lot of speculation about what these seven times are, but the number seven, whenever you look at that in symbolic language there in the Old and the New Testament, the number seven is represented of a perfect amount of time to accomplish God's will. So whatever that time may be, some say it was seven months, some say seven years, whatever, we don't know the exact time, but we know that it was the time that was taken to fulfill God's word. Now let's continue in verse 33. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. Now, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that lived forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned again unto me, <clears throat> and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. God is able to bring down those who walk in pride. And you think about the shame that would have been brought upon Nebuchadnezzar whenever his faculties left him and he began living as an animal. But as the proverb says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Nebuchadnezzar said his reason finally came back to him, and now he honored and praises the true God. Pride brings shame. That is something we all need to remember. Pride is one of the three ways that the devil tempts us. The pride of life. And when we act proudly, when we speak proudly, when we are proud, shame will follow. You might notice in the scriptures that pride or proud is never spoken of in a good way. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. And we're going to see the law of compensation. Proverbs eleven twenty-five. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. The liberal soul, the one who shares with others the one who is willing to give. There are two examples that I want to look at. The first one is the widow of Zarephath that is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 16. 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 8. Now, we're looking here, the he here, the him in verse 8 is Elijah, the Tishbite. We find that out in verse 1. But anyway, the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. 
So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the woman, or the widow woman, was there gathering of sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called unto her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, verse 12, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now stop right there for a moment. There was a great famine, a great drought at this time. You know, there Elijah had told Ahab that it's not going to rain. And it did not rain, we know, from the book of James for three and a half years. So there was a great drought taking place. Uh, Zarephath there wasn't in the land of Israel at all. It was north of the land of Israel. But this woman was there. And notice she had a little bit of meal, and she's gathering just a few sticks. And she goes, I want to prepare this for my son and myself. We're going to eat it, and that's all we have. We will then starve to death. We're going to die. Well, what happened? Verse 13, And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. So Elijah's saying there, go do what you're doing. Go gather your sticks. Go make the bread. But make me a little cake first. And then after you do that, then make for yourself and your son. All right, so what do we have going on here? He is going to take, from what she may be thinking, their last morsel. They're going to have a little bit less to eat, but they're going to die anyway. But notice he said he gives encouragement here to the widow woman. Verse 14, For thus saith the Lord of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. So right there, she, he, Elijah's saying, you're not going to die. You're going to have all the meal you need. You're going to have all the oil you need until God sends rain. And she believed him because she went and did. Well, verse 15, she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her son did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So right there, she was willing to share what little she had. And she was even willing to give Elijah the first part. And because of that, the law of compensation Go back and read Proverbs 11.25, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that waters shall be watered also himself. She was liberal in her giving to Elijah, and she had all that she needed to eat. Let's go now to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4. 2 Kings, chapter 4, and we're going to look at the Shunammite woman. 2 Kings chapter 4. It says in verse 1, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elijah, saying, Thy servant my husband is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. So she is in a predicament there in verse 1. Her husband's dead. There's no one there to work for the household. She has two sons, and they owe some creditor. I don't know the amount. It's not given to us. But we do know that he is going to come and take 
her two sons to be slaves. Verse 2, And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Only a pot of oil. And he, or then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him. She believed him. She went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full, she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go and sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. So right there, she was one who feared God. She would have been a liberal soul, one who was willing to share with others. Now let's drop down to verse 8, because we're going to see another woman here. And this is the Shunammite woman I was talking about. It says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunam, where there was a great woman. The word great there means older or great. And she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. So she was willing to share. She was a liberal soul. Verse 9, And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on the day that he came thither and turned into the chamber and lay there. And she said to Gehazi his servant, or he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. Verse 17, And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, According to the time of life. So right there, she was willing to share, she and her husband both, of what they had with Elisha. And because of that, she was able to bear a son. And there's more to that story. Uh, that, but he was, the Shunammite son passed away. He died. And Elisha raised him from the dead. So that is another way that the law of compensation took place. Now let's go to another one, a third one today, and we're going to look at deceitful counsels. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5. Proverbs 12, 5 says, The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. Let's look at a couple of examples here. The first one is the plot to destroy Daniel. And let's go now to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6.
In verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. So Daniel was the first of these three presidents. Verse 3 says, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Okay, so that's going to cause some problem. You know, the pride of, well, here we have politicians, basically. The pride of politicians is going to cause them to plot against Daniel to bring him down. Verse 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. So they've tried to find something to bring Daniel down. They couldn't find anything in his daily uh, things about the kingdom or anything like that. Everything Daniel did was good. So they couldn't find anything there. Verse 5, Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They saw that Daniel was a righteous man, a religious man, and following his God. And they said, if we can figure something out that would cause him to have to go against his God, then we might can be able to get something against him in the kingdom. So they're plotting here. Verse 6. Then these presidents and princes assembled together. The word there, two words assembled together, come from a Hebrew word that means gathered tumultuously. They rushed in, notice, to the king. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Let's throw a little flattery in. Now notice this, verse 7. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever... <clears throat> shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. All right, notice this deceitful counsel. The first thing they said was, in verse 7, all the presidents of the kingdom, in other words, they're saying Daniel went along with this. That's a lie. That is a lie because Daniel did not go along with this, but sounded good to the king. You know, the king was a little prideful here as well. What are we supposed to do? No man shall ask any petition of any god. In other words, Daniel would be forbidden to pray to God. Verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. So we've all agreed on this, king, every one of us. You sign this petition, and it can't be changed because that's the way the law of the Medes and Persians is. Well, verse 9, Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. He thought everything was going to be wonderful. He's going to get praise, and he's going to have his pride patted on him. Oh, it's going to, they're stroking his pride greatly there. All right, now let's go to verse 10. Daniel knew that this decree was signed, it says. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. 
So do you think these men might have been spying on Daniel to see what Daniel did every day to try to find a way to get something against him to bring him down? Yeah, that's pretty, you can assume that pretty good because they wouldn't have known what to do if they hadn't. But then notice verse 11. Then these men assembled. It's the same Hebrew word as back in verse 6, assembled together. They gathered together tumult. They ran in there. And what did they do? They found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So were they spying on Daniel? Absolutely. They were trying to get him. They were trying to bring him down. They wanted him to be killed, thrown into that den of lions. Verse 12, then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Did you sign that decree, king? Well, the king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Yeah, that's true, I signed it. Verse 13, they answered, or then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth thee not, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. He's praying to his God, king. Well, verse 14, Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. So right there, the king knew he had made a mistake. But there was no way to change it. The laws of the Medes and the Persians was firm. He wanted to get Daniel out from there. He wanted to deliver him out of that, but he couldn't. Verse 15, then these men assembled under the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. You can't change anything, king. Though you may want to rescue Daniel, you can't. Verse 16, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. All right, cast him into the den of lions, those men that had this wicked counsel, this deceitful counsel, then thought their problems would be all over. Daniel's going to be eaten, and he won't. we won't have to put up with him anymore. Well, continuing there in verse 16, says, Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Do you think he really believed that? He may have had hope that that God that Daniel served would save him. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So it was sealed. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. He couldn't sleep that night because of what he had done to Daniel. Then the king arose very early, verse 19, he rose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. So he apparently ran to the den. Verse 20, when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, the servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? You think he had a good question there in his mind? Is God really able to deliver him from the lions? Verse 21. 
Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon it because he believed in his God. Verse 24. Then the king commanded and they brought those men which had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions. Them their children and their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Or ever means before. So right there, they had deceitful counsel, a plot to destroy Daniel. But it backfired, did it not? They and their families suffered because of their deceitful counsel. Well, now let's go look at another deceitful counsel, and this is over in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. <clears throat> It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and art come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Stop there for a moment. Herod the king was troubled. This is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a very evil and very suspicious man. He wanted to be the king of the Jews. He is the one who built the temple up into a fortress that it was there in the days in the time of Jesus and until it was destroyed by the Romans there in A.D. 70. And whenever he heard that there was one who was born king of the Jews, it troubled him. He did not like that. And because he was troubled, all Jerusalem was troubled as well. Verse 4 says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. All right, the priests, those who would supposedly speak the word of God, the scribes, those who constantly wrote the word of God, these are the ones who should know where Christ would be born. Well, verse 5, they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Verse 6 is the writing. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, Art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Micah 5, 2. So they told him he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, verse 7. Here we see the deceitful plot, the deceitful counsel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. See, that was a lie. Herod wanted to know where Jesus was born, where the Christ was born, where the one that would be the governor, the ruler of Israel. He wanted to know where he was born, not so that he could come worship him, but that so, so that he could kill him. Now verse 9. When they had heard the king, they departed, 
And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the child was, the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. All right, stopping right there for a moment. The star led them to where Jesus was. They gave him their treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, we all see every time, you know, during this so-called Christmas season, three wise men, but it doesn't say there were three wise men there. Now, it says wise men, so we know there were at least two, but there may have been more than two. There may have been three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or whatever. Not just three, but they brought three gifts. Now, verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they, that being the wise men, should not return to Herod, they departed in their, into their own country another way. So right there, they were warned by God, don't you go to Herod. Herod has some evil planned. Go out a different way. Well, verse 13, And when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Again, Herod was a very uh, evil man. He had members of his own family killed because he, was, he, didn't, he didn't trust them. Uh, from what I have read, that on the day of his death, he ordered that there be people executed so that there would be mourning and weeping when he died. Well, verse 14, this is, he here is Joseph. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. In verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the, this would be the male children, that's what the American Standard Version says, was it a, a girl that was going to be leader, but anyway, slew all the male children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which had he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So there was one who was coming. It was a male. There's nothing against women in this. There were women leaders as well. But we knew from that prophecy that it would be a male who would be the leader, the governor, the ruler over Israel, and that being Jesus Christ. So because of that, he sent and slew all the male children two years old and under. He wanted to get rid of the Christ, but then that was just the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given in Jeremiah 31, 15, says verse 17, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, in Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. A very evil, wicked man with deceitful counsel there to try to get the wise men to tell him where Jesus was and God warned them and they went another way. Now let's look at one other proverb. We should have enough time to do this. And this is Proverbs 13, 7. Poverty and riches, and riches in poverty. Proverbs 13, 7. The verse reads, There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Let's look at an example of this in... 1 Kings 21, 15 to 24, and this is Naboth and his vineyard. 
First Kings chapter fifth, uh, chapter twenty-one, verse fifteen through twenty-four. It says there, it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned. Of course, she had Naboth stoned because King Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. Naboth wouldn't let him have it. So she had him stoned so that she could give that vineyard to Ahab. Anyway, when it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee. He didn't, he didn't object being called his enemy, did he? Because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab every man child, and him that is shut up, and left in Israel. And I will make thy house, thine house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. So what did he tell Ahab? All your descendants are going to die. There's no descendants from King Ahab here today. They're going to be cut off from the earth. And in verse 23 of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field, shall the fowls of the air eat. In other words, they're not even going to be buried. So Ahab got riches that made him poor. And now let's look at one last one, and this is Paul's great riches, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Paul said, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, and the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul's great riches there being talked about. Again, back in Proverbs chapter 13, let's, let's reread verse 7. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. That's Ahab. 
He wanted Naboth's vineyard. Naboth wouldn't give it to him. Jezebel had him stoned. He tried to take it. It didn't profit him a thing. What he got from that was everyone of his family that died in the city, the dogs would eat, and they did eat Jezebel. And everyone that died in the field, the fowls of the air would eat. But then the last part of that says, There is there that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. That was the example of the Apostle Paul. He had all these things going for him in the Jews' religion. And yet he said that those things that would make me rich and famous, those things I count but refuse because I want the reward, the award from Christ. He goes, I want to live basically what John wrote there in the Revelation, be thou faithful unto death, I'll give thee the crown of life. In 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, Paul said, I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not unto me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Great riches by making himself poor. Well, again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for being with us today. And we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.